Hey everybody, I'm Danny Taylor, co-owner of Vegan Proteins, and I am with SoFlo Vegans. Welcome to the SoFlo Vegans Podcast. We bring you vegan experts from around the world to talk about health, the environment, animal advocacy, and spreading compassion. It's our passion to help you navigate the vegan lifestyle by listening to the experiences of vegan influencers, doctors, and experts. Thanks for listening. This is the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. And now your host, Sean Russell. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Russell. And today we have Danny Taylor from veganproteins.com on the show. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, so I'm excited to have this conversation with you because like me, a lot of our listeners are going through their journey and it's always great to have an expert within, I guess, <laughs> ears reach to be able to get some tips as well as to see what they've done because everyone's journey is different. So if you can kind of peek through that window and see what you did I'm sure it will inspire and support them on their journey. So thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, no problem. I'm psyched. All right. So the first thing that we do, sort of a tradition here on the SoFlo Vegans podcast, is we ask you about your vegan origin story. What were those seeds that were planted inside of you to grow you into the person you are in regarding to your vegan <laughs> vegan journey that you are today. So let's go right into that. How did you get started? Sure, sure. So uh, I grew up in a family that did not have a lot of money and unhealthy food is pretty inexpensive. So we ate a lot of processed, unhealthy food, lots of mac and cheese, lots of ramen, lots of hot dogs. And I grew up pretty overweight, but everybody in my family was overweight. So I just assumed that it was like a genetic thing and didn't really think too much of it. It was whatever. Um, I actually went vegetarian when I was eight years old because uh, we were at a cookout or barbecue or something. And there what there was a lobster in a kiddie pool. And you know, as a little kid, is there anything cooler than like a giant lobster <laughs> hanging out with you all day? Not really. But I didn't know that they were planning on having that lobster for lunch. And when they did, uh, it was horrifying to me. And I decided I didn't, uh, you know, I, I said to my mom, like, why? Why do we eat animals? I don't understand. And she said, well, there's some people that don't. And I said, okay, cool. I want to be one of those people. Um, but I still totally ate dairy and eggs for a long time. Uh, continued to, you know, grow up. I, I grew larger. Also, I was about 210 pounds by the time I was 16 years old. And I was writing a research paper about vegetarianism for an English class. And I stumbled across this website that talked about veganism, something I had never even heard of before. And it explained the connection between the dairy and egg industry and the meat industry. And I knew I didn't want to support that. So I just, I went vegan for ethical reasons overnight without knowing anything about nutrition at all. And that was just about 20 years ago now. So it's been a long time coming, but yes, I went vegan for ethical reasons initially only. And in those 20 years, I'm what was it like for you? I mean, did you, once you went, it was like, okay, I got this or take us through like those early days. If there even was a, a struggle for you. 
There was and there wasn't a struggle. I just knew that, okay, I wasn't going to eat foods that had dairy or eggs in them anymore. And that did make up a pretty big chunk of my diet. You know, I didn't know all of the little foods that are, you know, technically animal products that kind of learning sort of came over time. But I basically just removed dairy and eggs from my diet and replaced it with more of the same stuff that I was already eating. So it was like not a very healthy diet. It was lots of plain bagels, lots of French fries, lots of Coca-Cola, you know, so not what I would consider to be a very well-balanced vegan diet at all. But I just knew ethically this was something that I wanted to do. And I just trusted I'd sort of figure it out along the way. But the next time I went to the doctor, which was just a few months later, I just went in for a checkup and they were like, hey, you're down 30 pounds. Like, what are you doing? And I was like, what? Like, how is that possible? And it was the first time that it occurred to me that, you know, I did probably have more control over my body and my health than I initially thought that I did. And that is what kind of lit a fire under me to be like, I'm going to, I'm going to learn this stuff about nutrition. I'm going to, I'm going to figure this out and see if we can't do even more than this. So it wasn't always easy. Like there was no Beyond Burgers at the drive-through 20 years ago. It was much, much simpler vegan food, but it was, it was still enough. And I got to learn about all these new foods I had never even had. And you made a good point. 20 years ago, completely different landscape than today. You know, I'm literally just making a video about the KFC Beyond Nugget. It's like, could you imagine? Like, I couldn't imagine back when I went vegan, not even like five, six years ago, whatever. So, yeah. So you brought up another thing that's common when people are telling their stories, um, their vegan origin story is that they lost weight. Now, was the reason you lost weight because you were putting better foods in your body or was it just because you were eating less food than you normally would <laughs> that's eat? That's it. Yeah. So, you know, I was I was only like 18 years old or 17 years old at the time. So I thought like, whoa, vegan diets are magic and they make you lose weight, <laughs> which, you know, if you do them in a certain way, they kind of, you know, vegan diets can be kind of magic. But really, I was probably just eating so much cheese and so much ice cream before I went vegan that I'm sure that I just ended up eating less. So that's what happened initially was I just created a caloric deficit sort of by accident without realizing it. You know, now years later, I can see that and I understand what happened better. Um, but it was still good because like I said, it made me it made me want to learn more. It made me want to, I knew I wasn't doing it the right way. I wanted to learn how to do it the right way. And that's what inspired me to do so. So it sounds like after you um, decided to make this change that you started to become more conscious about your health. Take us to this next chapter of your life. You went vegan and now you're looking at, you go to the doctor, you, you find this information and then what happens next? So I would say then I started to like, I went to the library and I took out any book that I could find about veganism or plant-based diets, which there were not very many books. There was like two cookbooks. I took them both out. And, you know, a lot of them had foods I had never even heard of in them, like tempeh or nutritional yeast or quinoa, like all of that stuff was new to me. So I kind of turned going to the grocery store into like a little field trip and I would just keep trying new things. And they weren't all wins, but uh, a lot of them were. And I was able to create some pretty well-rounded meals, you know, over time that I liked. And it's funny because everybody thinks when you go vegan, you're going to eat like nothing. You're going to eat salads and it's going to be so boring and restrictive. But like all that I ate before that was like pizza and ice cream and French fries. And now I was eating like 
Thai food, Japanese food, Mexican food, all of these different types of food. And it was just the opposite of what I expected to happen. So this is, this is great because now you're trying new foods. You're going past the pizza and the, and the mac and cheese and the, the, I guess the sad American, the sad diet. So, and, and that's the other thing too, you know, even if you're vegan, you could still be on the sad diet. You're just not, your products just don't have animal, animal um, things in it. So let's, let's go more into the health side of things because you obviously, actually, let's take a bit quick pause because that was really your, your origin story. But let's go into um, veganproteins.com and kind of what that's all about so our listeners can have more context once we continue our conversation. Yeah. So now what I do, I mean, there's a big gap in between the beginning of the story and now, but now I'm full-time coach to vegan athletes. And I've been doing that for about 10 years now. Veganproteins.com started as a vegan supplement store, the only vegan supplement store, because back in like 2008, you couldn't find a plant-based protein powder, which is funny to say now, because you could literally walk into Walgreens and find it on the shelf. But you know, 15 years ago, you couldn't. So we started it as a supplement store. And then eventually it evolved into a coaching business, basically with my husband, Giacomo Marchese, who I think has been on here also. So it's been a long, it's been a long, long journey of getting here. And, you know, I'm still, I'm still learning more about how to help people every day through this transition to vegan and then wanting to become a vegan athlete. Uh, so it's, it's very, very different from the way that I grew up. So it's been a pretty huge life transformation from like my childhood. So now that we have that part in the conversation, we can go right back to where we were before. <laughs> and all right, so kind of what made you want to pursue this path? Um, like, what was the inspiration for that? So as I started this learning about nutrition and just eating healthier foods, I did continue to lose weight. And this continued a lot. I went from 210 pounds to 130 pounds, which in my mind was like my goal weight, which is a terrible thing to have, but I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> so I reached my goal weight. And I remember looking in the mirror and just being like, huh, I thought that would look better. <laughs> so I started going to the gym, uh, but I didn't know what to do with the gym. So I was just doing cardio every day, which is also a mistake. <laughs> but from the cardio machine, I could see the weight room floor and I could see the strong fit women over there. And I was like, that's what I want. I want to do that. So I hired a trainer. She taught me how to lift, which was amazing. She taught me how to lift weights, but she could not help me with my diet. And I remember her being in the nicest way possible, very discouraging, telling me that, you know, if I wasn't willing to at least have whey protein or have egg whites or something that I wasn't going to be able to make progress. And this absolutely is what propelled me to like, I need to figure this out. I need to crack this code. I know this can be done. I'm not going to stop being vegan, but I want to make this progress. And uh, that was in about 2007. And I found Robert Cheek and his veganbodybuilding.com and his huge community of vegan athletes. This was before Facebook. So it was hard to find community online back then. But I found it in veganbodybuilding.com. And it was just all these people learning from each other, like what was working for them, what wasn't working for them. And over the next several years, you know, we did all learn quite a bit together. And eventually I was able to like fine tune my process and then use that to also help other people fine tune their process. 
So you mentioned something that um, I want to bring back because I 100% understand why you said it, but maybe our listeners might not. You mentioned cardio, doing cardio. Um, would you go just a little bit into that just in case anyone had questions about that? So I'm not saying cardio is a mistake. Cardio is great. It's very important for your heart health. And if you love cardio, totally do cardio. But if you have a specific physique goal or an aesthetic goal, and it involves having muscle and like having that defined look that a lot of people are after, cardio is not going to get you there. Cardio is not the way you get those results. It's through weightlifting, it's through your diet, and then, you know, a little cardio sprinkled on top. A lot of people are doing like a ton of cardio, not eating enough and then barely, you know, doing strength training. And then they're bummed that they're not getting the kind of results that they want. Does that make sense? Uh, no, no. And it makes total, it makes okay. total sense. I've, I've gone through a lot of personal trainers and gone, I mean, I've lost 60 pounds. I've gained this, I've gone up and down. It's like you go into the gym. It's like, Hey, I'm going to get started again. And then you're like, wait, I know all this. Oh, why didn't yeah. I, why haven't I been doing it? Yeah. I completely understand what you were talking about. So Let's talk to our avatar. Let's talk to the listener right now. And they just went, it's veg, veg January, veg January. And they're like, yeah, I'm going vegan. And I want to also look out for my health. But their frame of reference is everything that they've been taught when they were eating meat, when they were on another diet. And of course, the big thing that's probably coming up for them is protein. I'm sure you know, most of our listeners probably know the protein myth and everything, but why is that constantly almost a deal breaker for a lot of people? They won't even consider a plant-based or vegan because there is this protein. Like, this, Can we just talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. And you're, you're totally right. It is a deal breaker for a lot of people. And we go out to huge fitness events and talk to giant bodybuilders and powerlifters that are not vegan. And we talk to them about a plant-based diet. And that is the hesitancy all the time. I don't know if I'll be able to get enough protein on a vegan diet. Now, the protein myth, right? You said people probably already know this if they listen. Nobody's going to die of a protein deficiency. If you are getting enough calories, you're getting enough protein to survive. But when you're talking about people who are athletes, who want to build muscle, they have certain strength goals or any athletic goal, really, you're probably going to need more protein. So, you know, that side of things, it is true. You need more protein to achieve athletic goals than if you weren't trying to achieve those athletic goals. And because so many people were taught that protein is only found in animal foods, which is the biggest lie, right? They think that they cannot give up those animal foods and still increase their protein, which is not true. There are so many ways to increase your protein on a plant-based diet, you can literally hit any amount of protein that you want to hit. You know, should you hit crazy high amounts of protein? That's a different story, but you could if you wanted to on a vegan diet. Like any macro split you're trying to hit, any amount of protein, carbs, or fats you're trying to hit, you can also do it on a vegan diet. So I'm glad that you provided that clarity and you just said another key term that I hear all the time. I'm being the advocate for the listeners. So you said the macro split. So mm -hmm. could you break down macro and micro? That's the other part of it too. Or am I mm -hmm. micro? Can you break down? Nope. Why is that like always 
coming out of fitness trainers' mouths and I'm pretending like I understand and like, oh, macros, I get it. Yeah, Yeah, sure. So there's three macronutrients. There's protein, carbohydrates, and fats. Now we have heard all of the, you know, when I was a kid, fats were the enemy. Fats were absolutely evil. Don't eat any fat. And then when I was a teenager, obviously it was Atkins and keto. Keto is still around, but is don't eat any carbs. They're evil. But protein has never been like the evil macro. It's always been like the golden child of the macros. Um, but really, the truth is we we need carbohydrates. We need healthy fats. We need all three of the macronutrients. But the amount of them that you eat is going to determine whether you do or don't reach certain physique or strength or fitness goals. So that's why trainers talk about it. You know, we've all heard of calorie tracking and what it means to track your calories. Macro tracking is just sort of the next step to that. So you're not just tracking your calories, but you're also tracking which macronutrients they're coming from. And then micronutrients, this, I mean, vegan diets win here, hands down everywhere. Micronutrients are your vitamins and your minerals and greens and vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds and grains, like absolutely packed, 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 packed with micronutrients. So I don't feel like vegans need to stress too hard about that. But when it comes to fitness coaches, they are going to talk about how much protein you need, how many carbohydrates you need, how many grams of fat you need. And that is what they're talking about when they say a macro split. So now we talked about the um, protein and I'm thinking in the scenario where someone is going to a personal trainer, maybe they're not fortunate to have a directory or access to a vegan or plant-based personal trainer. And they have, and you actually mentioned it, your experience. Mm-hmm. They speak to someone and they're like, okay, I'm plant-based, I'm vegan, and I want to start working out. And they get hit with the, well, I don't know if that's going to work for your diet and this, that, and the other. What are some real quick takeaways that they can use to kind of quickly dispel that? Because at this point, they understand that it's not completely, well, it is, you do need proteins, but The myth is that you need to get it from animals. So what are some of the things that they can say are, you know, tools that you can give them so that that's not a hurdle for them? Yeah. So I used to be really annoyed when people would say this, when people that didn't know anything about veganism would say something like, well, you can't do that on a vegan diet. I'd get mad. But, you know, in my years, I've learned they just don't know. They don't know the foods that are plant-based that have high amounts of protein. So the best thing that you can do as an individual who's vegan and you know, maybe going to a trainer or coach that's not vegan is to learn what are those foods? What are the vegan foods that are really high in protein so that you can say to them, Hey, no, it's okay. I can, we can do this. I can do it plant-based. Hey, check out this particular, you know, cause they'll recommend that you get a whey protein powder. We'll check out this protein powder that's made of peas and rice. And it is equal in terms of the quality of the protein to the whey protein powder. Things like tofu, tempeh, seitan, nutritional yeast. Some of the mock meats that are out there are really fantastic. Lentils, beans, spinach, kale, all of these have a lot more protein in them than most people think. So when you can like sort of learn that list and internalize it, you can, one, you'll remember it when you're out and about and you can be mindful of your protein consumption. But also if somebody says, the inevitable, but where do you get your protein? You have a, a truthful, helpful kind of list of things that can help 
other people learn because ultimately it would be great if you know all trainers just kind of knew that we want to hear from you visit our website to ask a question leave a comment or tell us how much you love the show we'll play some of your messages during the episode as well as directly to our guests so be sure to leave your name and city and visit soflowvegans.com slash podcast and that's also a good point. And it's you're talking about trainers, but we also look at just medical professionals across the board. You know, I've had you know multiple doctors on the podcast, and one of the things that keeps coming up is the amount of nutritional courses or information that's provided to vis- physicians as well. So it's to your point with the protein and finding out this information and doing the research. It's also good to know that. Even if someone is an expert, I'm not saying discount all the experts. They're, they're experts right. for a reason. You definitely, if you're sick and, you know, hospital and doctor's offices, they all have their place. But in terms of, you know, arming yourself with the knowledge, what are some good resources or places to go for people to find some of this information, both for the macro and the micronutrients? Because I'm going to go into that in a little bit. So I would say one of the best things you could do is have some kind of a food tracker on your phone. So there's MyFitnessPal is a really, really popular one. There's another one that's better for the micronutrients that's escaping me at the moment. Maybe it'll come to me later. But this is a really good way to just kind of look up some of the foods that you're eating and get an idea of, oh, look at that. Huh, I didn't know that this chickpea pasta had 15 grams of protein in it. Good to know. And that's just like a good tool for learning about yourself and your own habits. But there are some great resources out there to learn more about these things. So we have a lot of articles on veganproteins.com that were written by a registered dietitian about some of these macro and micronutrients that sometimes people worry about as vegans so that you can learn, like, why is this important? Should this be a concern to me? And where can I find more of foods that have this particular thing in it. So that's one place. Dr. Greger's site, nutritionfacts.org, I think, is also, I mean, it's it's a wonderful resource. I'm sure lots of people are already familiar with that. There are some communities online that I think do a really good job putting out quality information and monitoring it in such a way that misinformation doesn't sort of slip through the cracks. There's actually a Facebook group called Vegan Bodybuilding and Nutrition, and the moderators are all scientists. (laughs) So uh, they don't let any uh, BS get in there. So, you know, obviously don't believe everything you read on Facebook for sure. But if you're looking for a good community, that's a good place to start. So let's go into some of the maybe things that come up with you and your, your clients, you, you train, you're, you're focused mainly on athletes, correct? Mm-hmm. What are some of the major obstacles that come up for you and your clients when it comes to maneuvering, being plant-based, being vegan, and wanting to, you know, reach that peak performance level or physique level or what have you. I know that's a, that's a huge Pandora's box <laughs> I just opened up. But I would say, what are some of the things that kind of rise to the surface that you see more often? So believe it or not, most of them are psychological or external factors. So what I mean by that is one of the things that comes up a lot is social situations. 
social situations are really, really hard for people. One, when it comes to being vegan, if you're the only vegan at Thanksgiving, for example, that might be kind of a hard day. But even if you're not the only vegan there, going to social gatherings that revolve around food can be challenging for people when they're trying to eat as much in line with their goals as possible. That's hard to do when there's like a whole bunch of vegan pies staring you in the face. So that those kinds of situations can be a real struggle for a lot of people because, you know, you are always going to have social situations. There's always going to be holidays and birthdays and uh, work parties or whatever. And a lot of these things revolve around food and teaching people, whether they're, you know, I call them, I call everybody that I work with an athlete, but I, I want to be clear, some of them are elite athletes. And some of them are just, you know, folks who just really want to get in better shape so that they can, you know, play with their grandkids for longer. So just to be clear, it kind of runs the gamut. But that's something every single one of us has to face. And I do find that with elite level athletes, they tend to have even more of an all or nothing mentality. So that is something that really needs to be worked on because life doesn't work like that. It's not all or nothing. You need to know how to operate within the gray areas because most of the time you will be operating in the gray areas. So yeah, you would think that some of the struggles would be very vegan specific, but it's actually not the case. A lot of times people get that part down pretty quickly. They get the training, they get the diet down quickly. It's the other things, the other factors that make things really challenging for them. And we're on a topic of food. And I'm sure when you first went vegan, I mean, you had that transition period. So what was it like for you, for you going to social gatherings? What was that first Thanksgiving, Christmas or whatever holiday? How did that look for you? It was terrible. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was 2002. And I remember I went vegan like the, the week before Halloween. Um, so all my friends were like, you know, eating all their Reese's peanut butter cups and Snickers and stuff. And I was like, man, at that time, you know, there was no vegan chocolate. You could just go to the store and buy off the shelf. So kind of out of luck there. But then Thanksgiving, you know, I remember people were like, why aren't you eating this? Why aren't you eating this? There was virtually no food there for me to eat, which, you know, I could deal with, but the conversations that were happening were really hard for me. You know, people challenging your ethics around the dining room table, that is a struggle and learning how to handle yourself in that situation with grace, I think is a skill that takes a long time to learn. You know, you don't want to snap back at these people. You don't want to be nasty. You don't want to be angry or overly emotional, but also you want to you know, explain yourself in a way that hopefully will help other people as well. But at the time, I didn't do that. I was very emotional. I was very upset. Um, several people told me that I was just going to gain all of this weight because all I was going to eat was carbs now. You know, 20 years later, jokes on them. But at the time, it was, you know, that was really tough. And I remember that very clearly. So let's go into now, like for like um, The Walking Dead with the, the time skips. Um, so with... Now, like, give us an idea of a typical, I'm sure it's different, but like a typical day of, you know, what are you, this is not even just limited to food. Like, what does a typical day look for you from waking up to going to bed? I am very fortunate that I am have been able to do all of my work from home. I always have. So when the pandemic happened, it wasn't a big change for me personally. So I wake up, 
I have a cup of coffee. I do my morning routine, which includes, you know, the usual stuff, but also things like journaling, some affirmations. And then I come in here and I start working. So I work with my clients until about one o'clock in the afternoon. And that's when I break to go to the gym. I don't eat breakfast right away. So I'll work until like noon. And then I kind of have my breakfast, I guess, at noon. And that's not for any particular like health reason. It just works better for my schedule. And that's when I start to get hungry. So that's when I eat. Um, so then I go to the gym. I like to go in the middle of the day because it's quieter. I don't want to go in the morning rush or the night rush. Uh, and it's a nice way to break up the day too. So I'm not just staring at this computer for you know eight hours straight. Come home, eat my post-workout meal, my lunch, which is usually a big salad. Um, lately, I've been putting some of the Morningstar Farm chicken strips on it, which are so good. Remember, Morningstar Farms used to not be vegan at all. And now I heard they're making their whole line vegan. I'm very excited. So that is very good. And then I go back to work for a few hours. If it's nice enough outside, I'll go for a long, long walk with my dogs, hopefully chill with Giacomo for a bit and have dinner together and you know, stretch in front of the TV and then wake up the next day and do it again. <laughs> and, and when you're deciding these meals that you're having, do you have like a process or it's just kind of like what comes to you at that moment? So I have a set of the macros that we just talked about earlier. I have some certain numbers that I'm trying to hit by the end of the day for my goals right now, which my goals right now are to build muscle. So I need to make sure that I'm eating enough every day. Um, so that's the main focus is like, don't accidentally under eat, make sure you eat all your food. <laughs> um, so first I have those numbers and then I always have breakfast, lunch, dinner, and one snack. Again, so it's like four meals. That's again, it's just what works best for my schedule. So then I kind of try to break those macros up, the carbs and proteins and fats pretty evenly throughout those meals. But as far as what foods I eat, I kind of let my heart guide me on that. If I'm in the mood for you know, oatmeal one week, but cereal or granola the next week, then I can make any of those foods work within my structure to reach those goals by the end of the day. But I always have an emphasis on fruits and vegetables and protein. How do you deal with eating out and going to maybe a vegan restaurant? Are you always, do you stick to that very clean sort of eating? Or sometimes do you like have the, you know, big Z, vegan big ziti? So it depends. It depends on what my goal is at the moment. Right now, again, because my goal is muscle building, I have a lot more wiggle room right now. And listen, I love me some vegan junk food. Like I went without it for so long that now anytime it exists, I'm like, I'm going to try that. Like I'm going to try that thing. So especially when I'm in a muscle building phase, I can absolutely go get, you know, the big vegan cheeseburger at Veggie Galaxy in Boston. And I can make that work. So I'll try to track it. I know it's not exact because you never know exactly what's in your food when you're eating out. But I try to not be too neurotic about that. If I was getting ready for a competition, which is, you know, you are just you're trying to get super, super, super lean for competition, then it's a different story. Then you have to be more strict. Um, but it's not too hard because, you know, it's not forever. You know, it's just going to be like for the next few months, I'm doing this. And then I'm going to transition back to more of like normal life, which is what I feel like I'm in right now. But prep prep is a different beast. But most of the time I'm able to work in 
all kinds of foods. As long as I'm getting my fruits and vegetables in at other meals throughout the day, I'm not too worried about it. So you've been on this journey for 20 years. You When did you start veganproteinsagain.com? Two, 2008, so 14 years ago. Wow, 2008. Yeah. <laughs> so congratulations. Thanks. So, I mean, what are some of the things that you've noticed in that time period um, in terms of the growth of the vegan? This is a cleaner, simpler question. When did you realize that the ball was starting to roll in terms of the forward progression of the vegan movement? I'd say like 2015 or so around that time. I remember being like, wow, this is this is crazy. Um, the growth. So I think actually, I think Instagram had a lot to do with it, believe it or not. That's what made me realize like how quickly the movement was growing. So maybe that was like 2014 or so. I couldn't believe how many new vegans there were, you know, you'd be scrolling through and searching the vegan hashtag back when that worked well. And you'd find all of these people that were like, Oh, I just went vegan, or I've been vegan for six months or a year. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. What an incredible tool this social media is to showcase, you know, what it can be like to be vegan, that it's not the stereotype that we've all thought for so long. Since then, I mean, I would say the growth has been like exponential every year, not just in terms of the number of people going vegan, because I, I can't say that with 100% certainty, but, you know, with the way vegan food is traveling and getting into huge business, like you just mentioned, KFC, like, I can't imagine that happening 20 years ago. I can't imagine that happening 10 years ago, but now that's like, it's like Burger King and Dunkin' Donuts had some stuff for a while. And Starbucks is allegedly rolling some stuff out. Like that is absolutely bananas to me. And I know like those are not health foods, but I think if you're in the drive-thru for KFC, you've already made some de decisions at that <laughs> point. So, okay. um, you know, these foods aren't made for me. They're made for people who exactly. are not vegan or vegetarian. It's to introduce them to, hey, look, you can have the flavor and texture of chicken nuggets that you love so much and it can come from plants. And I think it's shifting the way people think about vegan food a lot. It used to be like, you know, people would joke, they'd pull over on the side of the road to let me go graze in the pasture. <laughs> and now, now it's not like that at all. So, I mean, there are pros and cons to the shifts that have happened with the vegan movement, but way more pros than cons. So I'm blown away by how much it's changed and really excited for what's in the future. And I think you know what my next question is going to be. Uh, what are some of the cons? I'm curious now. <laughs> All right. Here's the cons. <laughs> Certainly from my perspective. Never, 10 years ago, I did not have to ever coach somebody how to stay away from junk food or how to decrease the amount of junk food that they were eating. That was almost never a problem when somebody was vegan. Most people 20 years ago had an experience similar to mine where I went vegan and I got healthier without even trying. While I was still eating crap, I was actually getting healthier because I couldn't just switch my cheese, my dairy cheesecake to a day of cheesecake. Like that wasn't an mm -hmm. option 20 years ago. Now you can absolutely do that. You can eat, like you said, the exact same standard American diet as a vegan. You couldn't do that 20 years ago. It was not possible. So 
you know, we've often had to teach people to not be so scared of processed foods because when we started coaching people, the fear around soy and gluten and oil and sugar and salt, the fear was like palpable. People were kind of ruining their lives trying to eat as clean as possible. They were developing their own sort of eating disorder in that way. So we would like teach people like, no, if you want to have a cookie, we can do that. We can make that work. You can still reach your goals. It's not the end of the world. You're going to be okay. So we've spent like a decade teaching people in that regard. And now for the first time ever in the last few years, we've had to realize like some vegans we know are now only eating food like that. And we have to start teaching them how to eat more whole foods again. And it's not something we ever had to do before. So although the vegan movement is growing and because I went vegan for ethical reasons, I think that's amazing. I do still think now more than ever, vegans also need to keep an eye on their health because that that wasn't so much of an issue. 10, 15, 20 years ago, as it is now. So talk a little bit about the the ethical side of veganism. So you went vegan for ethical reasons, and a lot of people would argue that's the only reason you go vegan. But um, what does that look like for you? I mean, you're, you obviously we have the whole health side um, going on, but what does it look like to be an ethical vegan? And I'm saying this for people who are listening who may have gone vegan for their health, but be open to, you know, doing more ethical advocacy? So, I mean, some people are going to define this differently than I do. But for me, it means doing as little harm as possible as I can to animals and, and not using animals for my own benefit. So one of the differences between, you know, some, I'm not gatekeeping here. I'm just (laughs) semantically speaking. Uh, Somebody who is a plant-based dieter might still have leather shoes or a leather jacket or wear a wool coat. Whereas somebody who identifies as vegan uh, theoretically would not wear leather or wool or silk would not, uh, you know, use honey or beeswax. And like I said, there are people all over the spectrum and I think every little bit counts. But basically in my life, I try very, very hard to not do those things, to not use products that have been tested on animals or skincare products that have animal ingredients. If there's an option to do something without any animal exploitation at ever, I'm at all, I'm going to do everything in my power to do it that way. And, you know, sometimes that's not always possible. And I think that's really, really important to say, you know, there are medications that are absolutely life-saving and necessary, and they're not 100% vegan, for example, or, you know, the tires on our cars are not 100% vegan, but there's, there's no other option. So, you know, within reason, for me, avoiding animal exploitation as much as possible is what it means to be vegan to me. And then the other piece to that, and uh, and we'll start winding down from here, is compassion. You know, mm-hmm. the role of compassion in veganism. And if you've listened to this podcast, um, listeners, if you've listened to previous episodes of the podcast, you know, this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about because it's not just directed at people who are non-vegan, who I call pre-vegans. It's directed at all of us. It's directed at you as an individual, your level of compassion for yourself. So um, for you specifically, um, has this come up for you? Have you had any conversations or have you seen compassion playing a role 
in how others interact with you, how you interact with others, or just how the community interacts in general? So I think that what I've seen in the vegan community, uh, there's a lot of compassion. There's way more compassion in the vegan community than there is in the, the world at large, for sure. There's still quite a bit of infighting, I think, in the vegan community. Um, you know, you're you're not vegan enough if you, you know, tried the KFC chicken nuggets, for example, or uh, you're not vegan enough if you're not eating 100% whole food plant-based diet. And I wish we could stop that. So I wish people extended more compassion to other people and realize there's many, many different ways that we can all be moving things forward. I know for myself, the compassion that started like almost entirely for animals, and that's why I went vegan, was it, it really started to branch out into other areas of my life, trying to be more socially conscious of the companies that I was supporting. And not just were they exploiting animals, but are they exploiting people? Are they exploiting their workers? Or where does this come from? Are they being paid a fair wage? Things like that. Am I extending my compassion to groups of people that look and live differently than myself? Am I understanding that you know their life is different than mine and I'm never totally going to understand that? I think that when you really, really make compassion a part of your life, it has a way of spreading through all of these different areas of your life. And that's a really, really amazing. But you have to practice it. It has to be a conscious choice. It's not just going to happen by accident. And I love that you said that, like, get to practice it. Because for me, compassion brings me back to center because I can easily get lost in the sauce and, you know, get cut off by somebody and just be like, you know what? I, I'm feeling the dark side today. I'm, I'm feeling like being Anakin. But it brings me back. It reminds me, okay, am I being compassionate right now? Because you don't know what that person's going through. Or even if someone dislikes you or you have animosity, somebody has animosity towards you, it's like, okay, you know, what am I focused on? Am I focused on how this person views me or am I focused on whatever it is I'm creating for myself, my vision that I have for my life? And I feel like those little practices and, and the other piece to it too, it's like, if you're listening to this and you're just like, um, you know what, I, I, I want to be compassionate, but I don't know. I, I had to go do work on myself the same way you go to the gym and you work out. I had to, you know, get help from other people, not necessarily like a psychiatrist or anything, but like go through different courses, read books. There's a lot of different tools out there that'll show you the pathway towards what it looks like to be compassionate for yourself. Because I'm, I'm of course, I'm making all of this up. I'm just prefacing it with that. But I make up that you get to be compassionate for yourself first. The same way, like if your plane's going down, you don't put that oxygen mask on the person next to you or your child, because if you pass out, you know, how are you going to be able to help someone that really needs you to help? It's like you get to help yourself first, and then you're in a position to help the other people that are around you. And if you're not and if you're not focused on that compassion element, that love element, you can, you know, there, you know, there's differences, but you can, I say you can use them interchangeably. Having that love for yourself is, is extremely important. So I will never stop talking about compassion. I love the conversation piece because this is a crazy, crazy, crazy world that we all get to live in. And um, yeah, so thank you for indulging me. I appreciate that. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that was great. I, I agree with all of that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So we're going to wind down now. And one of the things that um, before I actually do this last piece, um, this bookend on the podcast, would you um, would tell people who are listening right now or watching this, if they're watching the video version of it, a little bit more of like what they can expect if they go to veganproteins.com, like what are some of the things you have to offer? So that way, after this podcast, they're going to the, your website and checking it out. Yeah. So if you head over to veganproteins.com, we have several different programs. So training programs, nutrition programs, um, eBooks about more about if you're interested in the macro thing I was talking about, I have a whole book called flexible dieting for vegans in there. Um, and if you're interested in working with myself or Giacomo as a coach, there's there's coaching applications up there to do exactly that. So yeah, right at the top of this page that's here, there should be a tab that says coaching application. Yep. And you can go ahead and do that. We have different levels of coaching at all different, uh, different levels of handholding and different price points for things like that. Cause we want to make it as available to people as possible. So there's that. We also have a YouTube channel. We have a podcast called muscles by Brussels radio and lots of articles and things up there as well so all right so make sure you go check it out it's veganproteins.com subscribe to their podcast subscribe to their youtube click that notification <laughs> icon I <can't. laughs> you gotta say that right so the last thing that i'm gonna have you do and um I started doing this a few podcasts ago and I enjoy it because it gives our guests an opportunity to really share what's on their heart and just whatever it is. It doesn't have to be anything specific, but just anything you want to leave our listeners with. I'm going to yield the floor to you. And as soon as you feel complete, that will be the end of the podcast. All right. So I think I'm going to actually kind of tack on to your bit about self-compassion there. So I think it is just so important to be kind to yourself. I feel like, you know, especially because I work in the fitness sphere, some people are not very kind to themselves. They're saying things to themselves. They would never say to their friends or their kids or anybody that they care about. And if you wouldn't say something like that to them, you should not be saying it to yourself. So it's a very challenging skill to learn how to catch yourself in your negative self-talk and turn that around. But I promise it is worth its weight in gold if you can learn to get better at this task. So like Sean said, we all deserve and you know, we need self compassion, if we're going to help others move forward, change the world, whatever it is you want to do, if you're missing that piece, you're missing the bottom of the pyramid. So definitely, if you don't have a 2022 goal yet working towards uh, self compassion or decreasing negative self talk, those are really good goals to set for 2022. You've been listening to the SoFlow Vegans Podcast. As you can see, our passion is to help people navigate the vegan lifestyle. Having on vegan experts from around the globe, Sean is the founder and, of course, the host of SoFlow Vegans, an organization created to help make South Florida a global hotspot for veganism. Thanks for listening. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, find us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at SoFlow Vegans. Find the show and more at SoFloVegans.com slash podcast. 
And for questions or comments, send an email to contact at soflovegans.com. Our food is grown, not born. See you next time.